We have been continuing our series in Exodus uh, this last few weeks. Last week, Pete uh, looked at how sometimes in life things don't go how they seem. Sometimes in life we have surprises that come our way, and we have to look to God's promises as the foundations uh, of our faith. To look to God first and not to go to God when we've exhausted all the other options. So, uh, just to give you a bit of recap as to where we are in Exodus, we have Moses having an encounter with God, being called to set the Israelite people free from slavery in Egypt, in a land that is ruled uh, by Pharaoh. And Moses has had wobbles, he's had self-doubt, but he goes. And then things end up getting worse for the Israelites as a result of his obedience. Uh, The Israelites were having to gather their own straw for bricks, which made their work doubly as hard, but then the same standards were still being set by Pharaoh. So after that obedience by Moses, the Israelites end up in a worse place as a result of that. So it didn't seem to be going too well for everyone involved. And this week we're going to be looking at the tail end of Exodus 6. So Exodus chapter 6, verse 28, and we're going to be reading up to chapter 7, verse 13. And uh, hopefully you would have got a Bible during the, the connect time there. And if you don't, it should be up on the screen as well. And I'm going to move over here. Is it going to come up? Maybe. There we go. Brilliant. Uh, why don't we pray before we read God's Word? Let's pray. Lord, you're here. You're at work. And above all things, we don't want to get in the way. We don't want to get in the way. Thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth. I pray that you'll breathe life into every one of us. You'll whisper hope into our hearts. You you will reignite our purpose, your plans. You shake us up a bit, Lord. We give you permission to do that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Right, let's read verse 28. Now, when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. But Moses said to the Lord, since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Then the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You're to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old, and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, they say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. 
Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned the wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. Amen. So uh, we are going to be looking at obedience this morning. That is the, 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 the theme for uh, this little talk this morning. And I want to show you, kick things off by showing you a little video. Uh, it's from one of our, our favorite programs, The Secret Life of Four-Year-Olds. I don't know if you've ever watched this, uh, but we're going to show you a little clip. And these kids have been given an instruction not to eat the chocolate cake. So let's take a wee watch. girls managed to resist temptation and leave the cake alone. Now for the boys. What is that for? This is just um, Olive's cake for later, okay? So I've just got, I've got to leave it there. No, it's Olive's cake for later. Leave it as it is. So in that sort of situation, what you really need to do is to get away from the source of the temptation, and some boys did that. What Alfie did was the worst thing possible, which is to sit himself over the cake and, and smell it and look at it. This makes my mouth water. That looks yummy. I love chocolate. It smells chocolatey. Smell the cake. Smell the cake. Oh. Smell the cake. Oh, he's eating it. No, I just took it. I just took an egg. That's all. <laughs> so it starts, though, mate. <laughs> Should we lick the top? So that. Oh my God! <laughs> Yum! Eat. Don't take that chocolate. That. Yeah. Leave it now. Yeah. Except... Now leave it. No! Oh, sorry. I love the fact that touching the cake or altering its appearance in any way is treated with moral outrage by our group of boys, but licking it isn't. And I think this tells us something really important about their moral world. They don't care about doing wrong, but they do care about getting caught. <laughs> so good. I was watching that and I was like, that's our boys right there. That's Joshua and Struan. Uh, obedience can be tough, can't it? I want you to imagine uh, another one of my favorite programs is The Apprentice. And Alan Sugar uh, is the, the head man in The Apprentice. He's a business, he owns many businesses. I want you to imagine that you won The Apprentice. I want you to imagine that you now work for Alan Sugar. And he found it necessary to say, okay, you've started this new job. You're with my firm. I'm going to go away for a year. I've got some other stuff to do. So he says, to, he says to you and he says to everyone else, look, I'm going to leave, but while I'm gone, I want you to pay close attention to everything. I want you to manage the things when I'm away. I, want, I will email you regularly with what to do to keep the business afloat, to help it thrive. I'll instruct you for what exactly you have to do until I get back. 
And everyone's like, yeah, Alan, that sounds good. And we all go, yeah, that's brilliant. And he leaves and he stays gone for a couple of years. And during that time, he emails a lot. He lets us know exactly what we're to do. And then he returns and he gets to the front door of his offices and the door's not quite working right. And he's like, oh, that's a bit strange. Actually, it doesn't lock properly. It's just like swinging open. And he gets into it and he discovers that everything is a mess. Everything is a mess. The receptionist, she's asleep. She's not even uh, answering the phone. She's just like, oh, just come in. Doesn't even recognize who it is. Uh, there's paperwork everywhere. Computers aren't where they're supposed to be. There's loud music roaring from every office. There's two, two or three people that are just sitting, just laughing and not doing any work at all. Just ties, not look, just not looking smart. And instead of suffering, uh, making a profit, the business has suffered a great loss. So he calls everyone together when he's back after a couple of years away. And he says, what happened? Did you get my emails? And they say, yeah, we got your emails. We got your emails. We even put them in a book. We gathered them all together. And some of us have memorized them. We know exactly what those emails say. In fact, we have an email study every Monday morning where we look at the emails that you've given us and we study it and we memorize it and we go, okay, that's exactly what Alan says we're to do. And then he asks, but what did you do about my instructions? Do? Well, nothing. We just, we just read them. We just read the instructions and put them in a book. D, uh, Dr. Miller once said, it is a great deal easier to do that which God gives us to do no matter how hard it is, than to face the responsibilities of not doing it. And John Wimber, who is one of the founders of the Vineyard Movement, who uh, we are part of as a church, he says it's important to be biblically literate, but we must also be biblically obedient. It might bring some challenging questions this morning, what we're going to uh, look through. I want to look at obedience, and I want to look at the importance of obedience to God, His plans, His commands, His purposes, and what that should mean for every one of us today. Living for Him and listening to Him should shape every decision, every detail of who we are. So we're going to look, firstly, at obedience to God means that we surrender all of ourselves. Secondly, we're going to look at obedience to God means that we keep showing up, even when we think nothing is moving. And then thirdly, obedience to God means we remember that God is always good and He always keeps His word. So firstly, we surrender all of ourselves. We have two little boys, as I've mentioned, Joshua and Struan, and you will often find us on Sunday protecting the pan au chocolat with everything that we have because they love them. They love them. Or we'll be chasing them around after the service, around the various parts of the building. This is a big building. I know. I've been in every part of it, chasing our boys. Joshua is just about to start primary one. And I'll be honest, I can't cope with that. I don't know about folk with young children. I'm like, we tried on his school. Oh, I didn't try it on. He tried on his school uniform. And uh, I just had a wee moment thinking, wow, you're growing up. And we are trying to instill in Joshua and Struan, four and two years old, from a young age, that we, as their parents, know best for them. That we have their best interests at heart. And that the age that they are at, that we know the best decisions for them to make. When it comes to park visits, when it comes to how many biscuits they have, when it comes to bedtime 
what time they're going to be going. And at times there's already a battle of wills. At four years old and two years old, there's already a battle of wills. And you can tell at a young age that already they are thinking, I know best, Dad. I know best. What, what, are, you, what are you saying? I know best. I know what I want. I know everything I need to know. Joshua said to me, I, I know everything, Daddy. And I said, okay, you tell me everything. And three things he said, is, birds are made of feathers, roads are made of concrete, and Jesus died on the cross. Oh. <laughs> That's heart melting, <laughs> but he doesn't know everything. It's just the sweetest, but eventually he will get to grips, even at four, that we have his best interests at heart. That that extra biscuit will upset his tummy. That no one goes to the park at 5 a.m., Joshua. And an extra hour staying up will mean that that morning routine, that morning routine, who am I kidding? (laughs) That morning routine goes out of the window. And we do it because we love him fiercely. We want the best for our children. And as our children grow, we will have moments where we know best. And the reactions sometimes will not be good. There might be battles. There might be tensions. I want to say this morning, God knows best this morning. God knows best for each and every one of us. And this picture that I've just illustrated demonstrates what we can be like. And obedience to God means that we surrender all of ourselves to him even when we don't like what it means. Because we have faith this morning that He knows best. His Word, His voice, His Spirit over everything. And it doesn't mean that we just do a part of it. It doesn't mean that we delay until we can manage. Our Heavenly Father knows best. And it means obedience. It means if God calls we answer and we go. And you know, everything in this culture from a young age goes against obedience. It's not a trendy word these days. To obey God, to follow His will and surrender takes huge courage in these days. It's not easy. It will often place us in places that are not comfortable where we need Him. Oh, See you later, guys. (laughs) It often places us in environments where we're not comfortable, where we have to go, I need you to come through here, Jesus. We don't like being told what to do. We live in a world where we are in control. We decide. We speak out what song we want on Alexa. We have phones that allow us to control what we know, when we know. We we have phones that tell us exactly how our sleep is going and how, how our sleep patterns are. We can arrange, we can plan, we can budget, we can spend, save, connect, search, learn when we want. We are wired to be in control, to be our own boss. God tells, actually he commands Moses to go back to Pharaoh In chapter 7, verse 2, say everything I command you. And in that moment, let's paint the picture a little bit. He's just went to Pharaoh, who he fears, who's this all-powerful ruler, who he went to and made the Israelites' lives even tougher 
after he went the first time, would you want to go back? Would you step up? You can imagine the Israelites when they hear Moses is going back. <laughs> Moses, don't. We have to find our own straw for bricks now, please. Don't bother. It'll, be, it'll make it worse. Why is Moses going back up to... Oh, no. How many of us here this morning have stopped after that first step in obedience after seeing, ah, this is, this is going wrong. This didn't quite work out how I planned it. Or we don't know what's going to happen next and we think, I'm out. Or I've mucked up here. I'm, I'm, I'm not going there anymore. Did I hear God clearly enough? No, I'm not too sure now after stepping out there. I'm just going to step back now. I'm obviously not the right person for this anymore. Moses didn't want to go, but he did. He surrendered his will, his agenda, his feelings, and he was obedient. He was trusting that God knows best. And we see God is with Moses and Aaron. Off the back of that decision, he reminds them of his power, that he is in this. We see that in chapter 7, verse 8 to 13, when uh, the magician's staffs are swallowed up by Aaron's. God's just reminding in that moment, I am all-powerful. I'm here in that obedience, in that step. I wonder how many of us are in that season of being one foot in just now. Maybe we're one foot in with this whole following Jesus thing this morning. Or maybe we're stepping back. Maybe we're not listening. Maybe we are afraid of what will change if we are to fully surrender. What will people say? Perhaps we're feeling a bit dry this morning. You see, if we keep what we have in here, if we just memorize the words, if we just sing the songs and sing them in our cars and not shift things in our lives out in the Monday to Saturday, nothing will change in our city. If we let feelings take the altar, if we let feelings be what we look to, people won't know the hope that we have. They will have no idea. If we go and we live the same week as we did last week, but a little bit more well-behaved, not a lot will change. We must be a people that live in full obedience to the call that God has given us. Whether we feel like it or not, whether we feel equipped or not, whether we feel ready this morning or not, we are a people of faith. This space on Sunday mornings is to be a space where we encounter the living God, the living God. I want to throw out there this morning as a church family church, what is changing in our lives? What are we bringing? What lies are we clinging on to as we walk out here that actually should be left at the foot of the cross? What is ruling in our minds? What are our hearts pointed to? What needs to be called into the light? What needs to be brought to life? What are we looking? Where are we looking for reassurance? Where do our minds wander? How do we look at our brothers and sisters in this family? Is it with love or is it wishing, I wish what we, I could have what they have? I wish I could have a faith like that. If we want to truly transform a city, and that's why we're here, we must come to a place of surrender. 
We must come to a place of full obedience to say, not my will, but yours, God. I sat and prepared some of this sermon in McDonald's. <laughs> a few people who know me know I, I like McDonald's now and again, but I just had a coffee. I just had a coffee. And I was sitting and, oh my word, McDonald's is a place of carnage, isn't it? It's just full on. I just took a, a moment where I, I looked up from my laptop and I was just like overwhelmed. There's just so much rushing about. There was so much. It was just, it felt like panic. <laughs> Everybody's wanting their food and then people are getting the burgers out and then they had the drive through they contend with. Staff are running all about with trays. They do table service now, which is outrageous in McDonald's. So they're running about giving their orders out in tables. And I just had a little whisper from God just saying, that's our world right now. That's our world. It's so fast. It's so demanding. People look like they don't know where they're headed next. They're so lost. And you know what? Jesus loves every single one of those people. And God knows best for every single one of those people. We as a church are to love our neighbors. We're to follow on on those Holy Spirit prompts. We're to love with all our hearts relentlessly. And we don't feel like it because we're commanded to. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the... Uh, in July, we had a month where we just practically went out and loved the city. We didn't have Sunday services. We'd done litter picks. We'd done prayer walks. We'd done gardening. done lots of different things. And the verse that we had as we communicated it out to all of us was Matthew 5, 13 to 15 in the message translation. And I absolutely love it. It says, let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in this world. God is not a secret to be kept. We are going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you on a hilltop and a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. So good. So good. I've been reading a lot about revivals. I've been stirred by reading about revivals. And uh, I've been reading about the beginnings of the Lewis Revival. And they were birthed in prayer by two elderly uh, women. And birthed in surrender and in obedience. And there's a story told of one of the office bearers uh, in one of the early prayer meetings with these women. And uh, he prayed a prayer, a very simple prayer. And the, the presence of God just fell in this room. And the prayer was this, God, are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? What a prayer. At that moment, he couldn't continue. He fell to the floor. What a prayer. God, are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? 
Obedience begins with surrender. Surrendering our agendas to His feet. Like real surrender. Like, here's all the baggage I'm dragging along. Here's everything. Here's everything. Real surrender. And saying, here I am. I am nothing without you, God. I need you. Clean my hands and purify my heart. So we surrender all of ourselves. Secondly, we keep showing up even when we feel like nothing is moving. One of my biggest joys since moving here is uh, I'm a chaplain at a local football team, Clach in the Highland League. And uh, I go, they're a great bunch of guys. I go along to the home games and I have a, a club tie and a club jacket. And sometimes I stand at the side of the pitch and pretend, you know, I'm the manager here. What tactics would I shout out? And I whisper them out. And I, nobody hears me, thankfully, or I might not be the chaplain anymore. But they lost 6-0 yesterday, unfortunately. Uh, but one week, I actually got mistaken to be a player. I got mistaken to be a player by an elderly man. And one of the players that, I don't know if he plays there, plays there anymore, but last season, he really did look like me. And uh, an elderly man came up to me and I told him, no, no, mate, I'm not the player. I'm actually the chaplain. And I got some interesting language back and he's like, no, you're not. No, you're not. And then he kind of realized and then he realized that his language was a bit colorful. And then he kind of looked at me like I was the Pope or something. He was just all, all forgiving going, oh, my goodness, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It's a great community club. And I go along and I just help and serve where I can, getting to know the guys and had some really just great conversations, making good friends. And it's the closest I can be to realizing my dream of being a football player. Uh, but within the league is a football team called Fort William Football Club. And a few Wednesdays ago, Fort William Football Club, they won a football match. And maybe you're thinking, oh, well, that's what football teams have to do. They have to win a football match. That's why they get on the pitch. But they hadn't won a game for two years. Two years. Can you imagine countless matches? Can you imagine the bus journeys? Can you imagine the training sessions? Can you, be can you imagine heading home after that? Can you imagine turning up at the office on Monday morning? Can you imagine doing the school run? How'd you get on at the weekend? Hi. <laughs> they were dubbed the worst team in Britain. They have a BBC documentary about them. So you can go on to BBC iPlayer, type in Fort William. It was just released a couple of weeks ago. They have supporters all over the world now. They have worldwide recognition. And after that win, it's only up from here. It's, it's all good. And then I was thinking, has is that, is that been a cunning plan all along to get the BBC in? And no, it's not really. But they kept showing up. They kept turning up. Can you imagine them? Some weeks I imagine they're like, oh, this is going to be the week, lads. The year and a half. So this is going to happen. Can you imagine one of the games that were up at half time? Can you imagine them at half time? Yes, we're winning. And then the game got called off because of the weather. They had, to, they had to finish the game. So they never got the win. Not this week. Can you imagine some of the bus journeys when they were so close? Soul destroying is what I would call it. Maybe you felt that in terms of being so close to a breakthrough, maybe with an addiction, maybe with a family member knowing Jesus. So close. But Fort William Football Club got back up. Why? 
because they, they must have believed. They must have had faith. They must have thought the tide is going to turn eventually. This season is not forever. And in the grim, in the long bus journeys, in the depths of the valley, there was still light. Hope was still residing. There was still some shred of some little bit of good in there. Somebody once said, sometimes you may feel that you're being buried when all the time you're being planted. In this season, there is growth. In this season, God still exists. In this season of silence, He's here. In this season of uncertainty and change, there is hope. In the season of illness, there is hope. In the season of dryness, there is hope. In the season of job troubles, there is hope. Money worries, infertility, parental stress, marital trouble, grief, depression, insomnia, future worries, doubt. There is hope this morning, and His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And to be obedient, we are called to show up, even if it feels like we don't want to. Even when it feels like nothing is moving. Because we are a people of faith. We are a family that will contest together as a family to the throne room of God and say, we are here and we know you are good. That will petition and will cry out because we know Jesus. Because we know what he has done for us. And we will cling to his promises and to his purposes. To be obedient for Moses and Aaron, it meant they kept going again and again and again and again to Pharaoh. It was relentless. It was consistent. When they were knocked back, they went again. When faced with a hardened heart, they went back to God. When breakthrough wasn't coming, they went back to God. Time after time, chapter 7 till 11 details all that. God would instruct different plagues to soften Pharaoh's heart and let the Israelites go, and nothing was budging. When they thought, this must be the one, Aaron. Nobody likes frogs. This must be the one. And they're taking the, I was going to say the bus back, when they're walking back to wherever they're staying, after no breakthrough, they had faith to get up and get back up again. When they could have given up, they could have hid they could have said, we turned up four times, God, and nothing, nothing happened with Pharaoh. We've done our bit. Or is this God? But they were people who showed up and were obedient to God. I want to ask us, are we showing up in our work with our friends? Like really showing up. Who are folks seeing? Are we living in faith? Or are we sitting here fed up? I've been there. I've been there. Loads. But church, for God to instill a fresh wave of faith to get up again and again and again, we must surrender. We must drop to our knees and recognize who God is. So what have we given up on? Who have we given up on? What have we closed? What book have we closed? What have we dismissed? What have we lost the energy for this morning? Are we ruled by feelings? keep showing up. Keep getting up. Some of us here perhaps have settled. Some of us are, are, are comfortable. But we have a longing deep down, buried deep down, that we know there's more. That we're sitting this morning right now and going, this just can't be all it. This can't be all it for my life. It can't be. 
you know there is more. We would love to pray with you uh, after I speak. Every week we offer an opportunity for prayer. I just want to read out, I'm not taking the book with me, just a quick passage and we'll draw to a close, uh, from a book called Letters to the Church by Francis Chan. Uh, I just want to read out a little, a little bit from it. This is Francis, he's, he's reading, uh, wrote this. I was having lunch in San Paolo with the pastor of a thriving congregation. I began encouraging him for the exciting things I saw happening, but he stopped me mid-compliment and said, yeah, but the church feels too much like a zoo. So many churches feel like zoos. We take these powerful animals out of the jungle and put them on display in cages. Have you ever seen the movie Madagascar? That's one of my favorite movies. I immediately knew what he was talking about. The movie begins with a bunch of wild animals in a zoo. All the spectators are in awe of these powerful and exotic animals. Everyone's favorite is the lion. The children go crazy, cheering every time he roars. Most of the animals love this setup. They're extremely well cared for. Trainers wait on them hand and foot, bringing them everything they need and ensuring that their habitats, which are carefully designed to look like the wild, are safe and comfortable for the animals. But the zebra finds himself dreaming about the wild. He can't shake the feeling that he wasn't made to live in a zoo. He was made to roam free. His restlessness creates a situation where several of the animals escape the zoo and later find themselves stranded in Madagascar. The movie's hilarious, mostly stemming from watching domesticated animals trying to survive in the wild. These animals were born to live free, born with the instincts and physical characteristics required to thrive. But their zoo environment had made them tame, useless in the wild. I wonder if you've ever felt like you're the zebra. You've been a faithful member of your church, but you keep feeling like you were made for something more. Maybe you, you've experienced what it's like to live in the wild. It may have been on an overseas mission trip or boldly reaching out in your own neighborhood. You've known the joy of seeing your instincts kick in and allow you to thrive. But now you're stuck in the zoo where everything is comfortable, everything is controlled, and you just want to get back to living in the wild. Lord, we pray that this church is never like a zoo. Lord, will you help us be a people that are in the wild for you, in the wild for you, Lord. God knows exactly what he's doing, even when we don't know what it means or where it could take us. And perhaps for a whole load of us this morning, the prayer is, or the response is, I want to go, I want to get out of the cage and I want to get back into the wild. And finally, we remember that God is always good. Uh, this Thursday is Mary and I's 10th wedding anniversary. I know. Thank you. Oh, you guys, you guys. 10 years married. Uh, our favorite wine is Pinot Grigio. We love chocolate and our address is, no, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm not really joking. Speak to me after. But you look back at these moments, don't you? Whether your kid starts primary school or you, you go to university, you have a reflective moment, you look back. And 10 years is a long time. And I just want to share very quickly just a couple of quick photos. Hopefully, our slide should come up. Hopefully. There we go. So, there's a few kind of key photos. That's our wedding day. That's on our honey. I look so young there. I look like 14. Uh, that's us at a wedding. That's us at Stroon's dedication. I realize I am standing right in front when I'm describing it. And that's the four of us in superhero masks. Uh, thank you very much for that slide. Why have I showed you those photos? It's good to look back. It's good to look back and see how God has orchestrated in so much detail how he's got us to where we're at now. It's very deliberate and it's very God. 
He knows what He is doing. He is a good God. And you know, for some of us, some of us here this morning, given what we've had to deal with this last season, we perhaps are sitting doubting that. This morning that we are to, we are to be reminded and we are to hear God is good. He did not cause the illness. It's not his heart to see us in pain and distress with problems and issues and stress and tough situations. In these, he doesn't leave us and he's always at work in them. I remember real seasons of darkness and, and struggle personally, questions of insecure and insecurities. And I think God wants to whisper to some of us this morning, you are doing okay. You are doing okay. Some of us just need to hear that. And this passage, that, uh, God, uh, this passage reminds us that God is a God of His Word. If we look throughout the passage very, very, very quickly. Chapter 7, verse 13. Just as the Lord had said. Chapter 7, verse 22. Just as the Lord had said. Chapter 8, verse 15. Just as the Lord had said. Chapter 8, verse 19, just as the Lord had said. Chapter 9, verse 13, just as the Lord had said. Chapter 9, verse 35, just as the Lord had said. Again and again and again and again, just as the Lord had said. He loves us. He really loves us, each and every one of us. Jesus, being here is remarkable. His only son for us perfect and blameless, taking the world's sin for us, we must remember and live in light of that. We must remember what that means for us, this great truth where our obedience should flow from. God is good and He keeps His Word. If He has spoken to you, perhaps to go overseas or the dream job or to plant a church or to start a business or to adopt a child or to start a drug rehab center or to start a coffee shop. He is in the business of keeping his word. Look back at when he has been with you, when he's had you in his grip and celebrate and look forward with increased obedience and know deep down that his grip has never faltered, it's never loosened, it's never been compromised, regardless of how we feel right now or what we have done. He is good and he keeps his word. Let's stand.